Welcome to uh, Dat London. We're super excited to be here. Um, for those who don't know, my name is Matt Milstead. Um, I, me and my partner, Dave Koss, we do a weekly podcast called the MoGraph Podcast. You can check it out on any of your podcast catcher of choice. Yeah. Uh, I'm very hot right now. Y'all Londoners love it hot. You love it hot inside. I'm from Texas. We're used to heat, but it's air, condi- air conditioned everywhere. So anyway, let's get this panel started. What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to another MoGraph MoCast. I'm Matt. And I'm Wimbush. What up, MoGraph? <laughs> Wimbush is my co-host today on uh, this episode. We're, we're streaming on the internet, yeah? We are, yes. Oh, I didn't really... <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, my name is Wimbush. What up? <laughs> Yeah, he's like, oh man, I gotta I step it up now. Yeah. Gotta put on the salesman. Yeah, yeah totally forgot. So. Yeah, um, so super excited. Um, I kind of, I, I also really want to open it up to the audience. You know, feel free to raise your hand or shout out questions, but um, because that adds an extra level of fun to this or chaos, if you will. You know, uh, but we have some amazing local artists and Chris Schmidt. You know, <laughs> and uh, I'd love for all of us to go down and just introduce yourself, you know, uh, what you do, uh, who you are, where you come from. So, yeah, let's start over on that side. Hey, um, I'm Andrea. I'm a 3D artist working at Found at the moment, based in London. Um, yeah. Um, hi, I'm Marta Swetek. Um, I w- have worked for various VFX software companies, including Maxon and currently Video Copilot. Uh, I'm also an actor and mocap performer and one of the people uh, behind the mocap data in Cinema 4D. So, yeah, that's me. Um, hi, I'm Ploy, Ploy Motion, and um, I'm a 2D and 3D um, motion designer, and I'm just a freelancer. <laughs> Just a freelancer. <laughs> so she says, Hi everyone, I'm Hazdalal. I'm, I'm a movie director and a game director. I run a company called Hazimation. Um I've done two movies that have been on Netflix called The Beyond and Origin Unknown. Directed a show for Disney called Fast Lane. You can watch it if you've got Disney Plus. And um, kind of taking a leaf out of your book there, Winbush. Um, and um, we just finished an animated film completely done in Unreal Engine that comes out uh, next year. And I'm currently the cinematics director on this tiny movie called Dune, uh, the video game with Funcom Legendary. That's it. That's how you sell right there. That is how you sell. <laughs> how do I follow that? Um, now, uh, my name's Josh Thorpe. I'm the 3D lead at Territory Studios here in London, just down the road. I've uh, been there for a couple of years and... We do a lot of different work, traditionally. Yeah, it's our anniversary. Well done. Come on, spin on LinkedIn. He knows. Um, so yeah, we do a lot of uh, work within the film industry, but more recently within gaming and brand stuff. And we just love telling stories and building worlds. That's us. Hello there. Um, my name is Vladislav Solovyov, but you might have known me as Solovjov, thanks to the English transliteration. Yeah, this is this is fun. So I'm I'm like a creative director and artist. I think like 15 years of experience, like heavy user of Cinema 4D. Uh, you could see this splash screen I designed for Cinema 4D 2023 with the bubbles exploding. Uh, next, 
so what I do, I'm a freelance. I'm freelancing current, currently. Work with different cr- uh, companies, brands, clients, helping them to bring their ideas to life. So this is what I do. <laughs> Hello again, everybody. I'm Chris Schmidt from Rocket Lasso, where we do tutorials, plugins, and live streams. Uh, a thing I'm actually really bad at about promoting is like sometimes I do work on actual client projects. So like recently, we got to work on the newest John Wick movie, John Wick Four, where we worked on the title sequence. So I TD'd a whole bunch of like the uh, the simulation stuff there, when the sand is falling and the cloth is tearing and everything. So working on those types of projects, it's also really fun. Hey, my name is Andy Needham. I'm a senior um, motion designer, I'm a freelance, and I'm based in London here. Um, been doing uh, that for nearly 20 years, and I've also been teaching and training people um, mainly in Cinema 4D for about 10 years as well, uh, over on LinkedIn Learning and various other websites. So. Hi, I'm Phil Roberts. I'm also known as Raid Zero online on all the socials. Um, I'm a 3D generalist uh, working from London and work with brands like Lego and Adidas and Nike. (laughs) Hey everyone, how's it going? Uh, My name is Ellie Wade. I am a trainer at Maxon. So I do things like tutorials, live streams and quick tips. And professional football player. Yeah, she's a professional football player too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. It's all right. Um, I went to the West Ham Arsenal game, or at least I showed up hoping to get tickets because I waited. I was uh, waiting to hear from her whether she wanted to go to the game with me, but she was on vacation, right? So as soon as I heard back from her that she didn't want to go, you know, uh, I went to the game. They, they were sold out. It sounds like you needed me there. I did need you there. Yeah. I need you to tell me the rules. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then uh, I found a ticket scalper who would sell me tickets, and uh, they were fake. So, yeah. So I was so excited. You should have seen my energy. I was so excited. And, like, you know, I was like, wow, these are really cheap tickets. And then I go to scan them. I get all the way through security. I go to scan them, and it's like, no, sorry, these are fake. These don't look like West Ham. And I was like, ah, oh, my team. Welcome to London. <laughs> So yeah, speaking of London, um, we've kind of done this with uh, every panel that we've had throughout every stop, and I I really like to know what is the state of the industry in y'all's specific location. I would love to see uh, to to hear what y'all think um, is you know maybe things that you're worried about or things that you're looking forward to or you know uh, uh, if things are going really well or there's a lot of studios or studios are shutting down. I would love to hear everyone's opinion on what the state of MoGraph is in London. Anyone want to go first? I can, I'll start with this. There you go. um, Yeah, so at Territory Studio, um, we have historically done a lot of film work, which obviously right now is not a great time to be doing film work. Um, For about six months now, it's been pretty dry however i think a lot of other industries are kind of picking up in its place um particularly gaming um and kind of experiential stuff so i think i think it's all about kind of what skill sets you've got and how you can adapt to the current situation because yeah film's not um really taking off at the moment but you can use these your skills in so many different ways so i think that's kind of where we're at at 
as a studio is seeing where we can use those skills in other places um yeah and i think it's still it's still a very exciting time to be doing motion graphics do the salespeople have to pivot you know especially with now are there still productions sorry um i know there's not productions going on there but i i've heard there are still productions going on here is that correct you know yeah i mean i i mean i can just echo what josh is saying i mean that the strike didn't really help in the US, like, you know, we had to write a strike, then we had the actor's strike, and I'm hearing there's potential mocha, like, actor's strikes as well yeah, in video the games. the interactive entertainment contract, so yeah. the strike's been authorized. So. Right, there you go. The right. The strike's been authorized. <laughs> there you go. Um, and all for good reason as well, because, you know, um, actors have always been treated unfair, you know, especially things like AI and stuff like that. Um, so it's a good reason, but obviously... It's had a really bad knock-on effect, as you've mentioned, Josh. Um, so for us at Asimation, you know, we, during pandemic, you know, even before the strikes, we had to pivot from live action to animation. Um, and how does one go from live action to animation? Because obviously we all know animation takes a lot of resources, a lot of time, you know, a lot of people. Luckily, you know, this doesn't sound like I'm plugging here, but luckily things like Unreal Engine, you know, things like real-time technology enabled us to really quickly put together a trailer or a sizzle trailer and really start pitching um even like all our motion graphic artists and our cinema 4d artists our zbrush artists they still had a job because yes they're not doing high resolution textures for visual effects on the movies or the live action stuff that we're doing but they're able to transition their skill and like you said josh like it, you really can migrate into different industries mm. and most recently we've pivoted towards video games so we're making a video game because we're in unreal so we may as well right but at the same time we also pivot to free to play with fortnite as you may have seen my good friend winbush playing the trailer and this is all using the same people that have been at the company for years. So, you know, I always tell people, like, regardless of what the industry is going at the moment, from a business point of view, as an artist, mm. always keep your eye out on the other sectors because your work and skill set is still relevant. Hey, this is Dave. I just wanted to stop for a moment and thank our sponsor, Otoy, the creators of Render Network and, of course, Octane. But I don't have to tell you that. You know who they are. You see the results of their render engine all over the interwebs. And we're very grateful that they're supporting what we're doing at MoGraph.com from this podcast to MoGraph TV to events like local meetups and Camp MoGraph and all our community building efforts. We can't wait to show you what's in store, all thanks to their support. Go check them out at Otoy.com. Now back to the madness. Um, yeah, and I've uh, I've actually found. Uh, speaking of Unreal, you know, going on LinkedIn, uh, I, I see a bunch of jobs for Unreal artists, and I've always said that uh, learning as much as you can in each individual thing, you just expand upon your knowledge and being able to pick those individual jobs up. I went through Winbush's course on MoGraph.com. Um, and, um, because of that, I was able to actually pick up a job, um, with, uh, Cadillac earlier this year. Um, and when I interviewed for the job, it was mostly, uh, it was mostly a, Oh yeah, I don't know unreal at all. You know? And they're like, Oh, don't worry. We won't use unreal. The entire thing was in unreal. So I had to learn it really quickly. And luckily having gone through his course, I was able to pick it up really quick. I uh, don't remember seeing any residuals off that. Oh, I, I know you get the residuals. Oh, off the project I work on? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> I was going to say, we send you a check every month. <laughs> well, speaking of strikes, I mean, motion graphics artists, how do we go on a strike? You know, I still get a bone to pick with Dilly as Catch. So 
I, I agree. I, I've been saying for a really long time that, you know, uh, there needs to be, and this may be an unpopular opinion, but there needs to be a MoGraph uh, uh, union. You know, especially in the, yeah, I heard some groans out there, but that's all right. You know, yeah. I don't know about union. I just want to get paid off of the stuff that airs, you know, like I worked on several seasons of the deadliest catch and, um, worked with Bon Jovi and he just says living a die or something like that. He gets paid every time that airs and I get nothing. So it's like my graphics are on top of Bon Jovi's lyrics <laughs> and he gets paid. And I went and I was like, can I get some points? And they kind of just laughed at me. So. But I think that's why the strikes exist, right? You know, enough people are going to see more strikes. I mean, I know this sounds like very rebellious here, but like it's worked for the writers, right? They've managed to get what they want. I mean, yes, it's been disruptive, but it has. And visual effects, you know, I think I think one of the Marvel shows, I think Loki season two kind of triggered the union for visual effects. Now, this has been coming for a long time, but it needed a show like that to really trigger it off. But that only... That's only going through Marvel, though, right? It so is at the moment. All VFX artists. Correct. Yeah. Yes. But hopefully that will inspire to grow bigger. And I think anyone that's content creation, I mean, your Deadliest Catch example is a good, good example. Like, you put in a lot of work that is generating revenue, yet the legacy way of generating revenue, which is the talent, they call it, which is the actors, the music composers, and so on, they get residuals and so on. Um, it's, it's a big problem. But I think collectively as artists, as we start voicing this stuff out, studios will have to do something about it i think the mograph artists maybe perhaps and this is just a thought that popped in my head so i could be totally wrong you know um with some of these you know the the actors or especially these vfx artists they're pretty high in there you know and i'm curious if maybe uh there isn't the same type of movement with you know mograph artists or vfx people because we just don't have that person to prop us up like you, you know if we had andrew kramer <laughs> up here going like hey come on let's unionize you know maybe we could all get behind him i don't know <laughs> i mean i'll say let's get Wimbush's money marty you can tell him that too <laughs> yeah, i got marty no, Matt called you out. No, I did. I, I, I told her she could tell Andrew Kramer no. I said that. Oh, oh, yeah. No, I'll let him know. Yeah, I'll, let him know. I'll call him right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, I was going to say, um, even if it's just, uh, if you kind of remove the idea of unionized, um, being unionized, and I think that there's a lot of movement um, that I'm seeing um, from, even if you're just looking at recruiters or people that are looking to hire, a lot of the rates... Um, that they're putting out there seem to be either the same as like five, maybe even 10 years ago or something, or they're actually trying to drop the rates. And the idea for us, even if we don't unionize, is to stay strong. And I know that it's tough out there. And like, even for me, it's been like my weakest year since I've gone freelance, which has been last five years. But you just you cannot start getting to this point where it's like a feeding ground and you're happy to take the lowest rate just to get the work. Because if you keep doing that, it's just going to get lower and lower and lower. And we all have to stay strong. Know your worth and don't take less than that. Like make sure that you have an absolute bottom and there is a reason for that. And, you know, there, there are different reasons. Everyone's in different situations, but just work out what your bottom is and just don't be tempted to go lower than that because we just need to stay strong. And together as a community, we will end up being paid what we are worth and, and our time is worth so much. So just, just so. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, there, there is equity, right? There's equity rates as well. So like what you're saying is 100% true. Like I 100% agree with that. Um, but I find with like motion graphics artists, there isn't like an equity support. So, like, so whenever we hire actors, there is a base minimum. Like you can't pay them no less than 250. That's the minimum minimum, right? And visual effects now, you know, you have things like Beck 2 which is the kind of like the national body for, for visual effects, animation, CG, and so on. I'm not sure if motion graphics cover it. No, see, that, there's, there you go. Um, but the, things are starting to change when, when there is like an equity set rate. So as a producer, wearing my producer's hat, whenever I'm budgeting for a show, I have to look at something to reference, and equity is usually something I have to do. Also, like, if someone finds out that I'm paying someone less equity, even if it's a junior, you know, it's not a good rep for a company. Um, so I think definitely, you know, places like equity um, and Bet2 needs to cover all types of creation, whether it's mocap, whether it's 3D, whether it, whatever it is that's going into a movie or a game needs to be accountable. And that, that takes time, I think. I just want to say, like, on the game side of things, actually, equity is not as looked at as much. Like, it doesn't have as much power. So, really, there's very much the same thing as a performer in games. I've worked, you know, on Destiny 2. I've worked on... Even closer, okay. Yeah. Even closer. <laughs> Fine. I'm right here. Is this close enough? There you go. Yeah. <laughs> everyone that place. No, so I've worked on, you know, a lot of different games, including Horizon Forbidden West, Destiny 2, all this kind of stuff as a mocap performer, as a voice actor, all these kinds of things. And... It's a constant struggle because everybody, well, you know, actors really want to get into these projects. I, I'm one of those people that, you know, really wanted to get into these projects and they're willing to take, you know, as low as 150 a day to, to do this. And it's incredibly physically demanding work. And, um, you know, there's, there's sort of this lack of interest still from a lot of uh, these establishments in the UK to actually go into the game space and I think uh, just generally, from my, in my opinion, in the UK, just a lot of this infrastructure is lagging behind, especially over the last five to ten years of how fast things have changed, how much things have changed for everybody. I think they're still really, really far behind. There's a lot of work to do to make sure everybody gets paid fairly. I'm loving this discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, that... Um, the problem with the motion design, why we ha we should have such such discussions, because I think motion design as an industry is very underestimated on like a corporate level. Mm -hmm. So like you you have like the core members of the company that actually make the revenue, and they have motion designers who are like expendable material, so you can uh, get anyone like on Upwork. And speaking of the rates, they are also low because your contribution to to the company, what you make. So the the general idea is that the when you get a designer on on like on a project, he's just uh, got hired by an art director. An art director is under creative director. Creative director is under the the ex, uh, the executive director. And then you have managers. Then you have producers. We have a bunch of people. And then the food chain a designer is somewhere at the bottom. Even though we create content that helps the company to actually make the revenue because we create the marketing uh, campaigns, we help uh, come up with the posters, something that would be visible on Instagram, Facebook, on all the type of social media, and that would be attracting the, the new customers. And I think the general problem uh, for, for designers, and I even speaking of myself, because I remember how hard it was just to speak out, you know, to, to voice uh, 
like and tell about uh, about your experience about your inputs that listen i'm i'm making the difference i help these projects to to, to get delivered so whatever i do would mm, bring your customers clients and these customers will will bring you money it will uh um bring you more shares more investors so i would like to have a slice of pie and the problem is that uh, um, for designers, it's very hard to negotiate. I think the, the core uh, feature of our job in general is just to negotiate and stand your ground, like we just discussed, to just come uh, to create a direct asset. Like, it's not just inflation, the, the crisis, energy crisis, a lot of diff difficult problems. It's just about uh, standing your grind, uh, ground, knowing your worth, and unfortunately, uh, not uh, not too many people know their worth. There was a very cool, uh, uh, I think, feed on Twitter. Mograf paid me. I think you remember in 2020 when all the designers just came on board mm. and started tweeting about their race. Uh, that was a bit confusing because you could see so many talented artists that they were like, I'm just making this little money. Mm. And people saying like, you have to raise your rates immediately. And I won't, you know, tell, like, tell any names, of course. Uh, but you, you know these people because you could see their splash screens. You could see them on Instagram, on like uh, different uh, podcasts, talented people, amazing people, but they're underpaid. And there are people, other people who can voice uh, like their needs to come to the creative director, be well-spoken, and they somehow get uh, a larger raise. They get a best position in the uh, at the company only because they can, you know, uh, communicate a bit better their needs and stand out because no matter how great you are and how talented you are, if you don't tell the world, world and to people who you, who you work with or for, they will never know. Because we, our job is so unnoticed by, by like, like society, professional society. Art society looks at our work like, what was that? It's like, it's not like a painting I can sell uh, on an auction. It's just a 3D thing. Well, how can I utilize it? How can I make revenue with that? And it also tell, like, speaks volumes. Like uh, when we talk to our families, how do we describe our work? Like, son, how do you make money? How do you actually pay your bills? Like, mom, you I'm... seen Pixar? Yeah, Pixar, what was that? Like, ah, oh, you draw cartoons, but for, like, companies. Right. Yeah, so it's more like corporate, but it's still very hard to, to explain. It's not like a surgeon, doctor, you know, uh, stockbroker, you know, and other, like, important people who drive Ferraris, probably. Uh, but I also would like to have a Ferrari, right? So that's why we need to stand our ground. So this is what I, th what I think. I think um, if you're particularly like um, when you're a freelancer and you're going to work for a new client, um, you still got that level of trust to uh, establish. And one of those, you know, one of those uh, things you can do, I guess, or what they may request is like, can you do this for a lower rate or whatever? And that's not, you know, that's a bit of give and take and up to you to dis decide on. And I think you should say, okay, I'll give you a discount. I'm never going to, you know, and then we'll put this in on the invoices. I've actually been, you know, generous and discounted that. And um, so that they know that you've got a good deal. And I think it's up to you as using your discretion, whether you're going to take that job. It could be, uh, 
you know, if it's an extensive period of time or whatever. Like recently, I did I did it, and I said, yeah, I'll I'll take it because it was a new company um, and it was actually an interesting project. It ticked a few boxes for me, um, and now you know there's a relationship there, um, and we can move forward from that. You know, I think as long as you are upfront with the ground rules of what you expect from them, maybe later down the line, um, you know, it's it's just communication. One of the things that we talk about when uh, that Andy was talking about with the discounting, making sure to put it on the invoice, yeah. because uh, uh, by seeing that discount, they'll know that that particular project was discounted, that your normal rate is something a bit higher than that. And for this one time only, you're taking a discounted rate. If you just throw an invoice and you put that rate without the discount or you, you put whatever the agreed upon rate is without any sort of discount, they're going to assume that's your rate from now on. It's, it's a mindset thing. Yeah. Because, yeah, that, that goes to the accounts or whatever. And then yeah. the producer sees that and they go, oh, great. We got that for that rate? Yeah. Great. You know. All right. Talk to me about the freelance world. I'd like to know the freelance world. Phil, let's, let's ask, ask you because I know um, uh, you got let go from your job and had to uh, jump into the freelance world. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, yeah, so I was a creative director at a company called Taylor James. Uh, they're an animation and stills studio. That's kind of my background uh, in stills. Um, I made the move uh, doing 3D animation. And yeah, it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster to be honest. Um, I I was made redundant from my job because we did have a London office and it was uh, merged into a, a big uh, corporate company called Tag. Um, that that kind of got liquidated um, like over the course of two years, where members of staff were um, you know made redundant from the London office. We were heavily going into uh, New York, um, like weighing into American work. Uh, a lot of car manufacturers and things like that. So the automotive team, which is which is uh, what I worked on, um, was the majority of the work, and th- that started drying up. To be honest, um, you know, these these companies where we were going on shoots in LA for two and a half weeks and. It was no expense spared. All of a sudden, all of those budgets were cut because of COVID. Um, going freelance was, um, it was just a case of getting in contact with, you know, people that I've worked with over the years and um, built relationships, you know, whilst I was working at that company. Um, yeah, and it's, to be honest, I've, I've made some good contacts. And like Andy said, like taking on jobs where, you know, take a chance on me. Like, I'll, I'll give you a, a slightly discounted rate, and you know, getting that foot in the door, I think, um, it's, it's helped me out definitely doing doing that sort of thing. I see some faces down there. I was actually going to ask. I'm not a freelancer myself, and I haven't been, but um, I was going to ask if it helps to have open communication about salary, money, and all of this, and within freelance. Uh, yeah, what do you think? Open communication Open as far as freelance as and everything? As, um, day rates, for example. Uh, there is a very cool website called uh, School of Motion. Uh, they have a very nice article about rates. I've already shared it a couple of times. And people, people were shocked that you actually can negotiate it. And 
Uh, I also found myself a couple of years ago that you can raise your rates and people will be like, yes, right. And then you think, oh, I could ask three times more. Like, yeah. why not? Yeah. I think it's all about like the like confidence. Within like, so freelancer to freelancer being like, yeah, I'm on this or being open about that kind of thing. Because I feel like if I were one day to get into freelance, I would have maybe no idea on are you talking about freelancers like actually discussing it with each other? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, in, I don't know about how it is here in the U.S. Like you have corporations who uh, they say you are uh, you, they'll they'll make you sign a contract that says you're not allowed to talk about, you know, what you get paid, um, but is completely against the law. You are 100 percent allowed. And if they fire you for that, uh, you can sue them for it. Uh, but yeah, okay, so I don't know about y'all. I'll go ahead and say it. I'm, right now, I'm 850 a day, but that's 850 US, and that may be low, but I have been, you know, from listening to this panel, I've been on 850 for a while. I haven't raised my rates in a while. So I don't know about y'all. If y'all want to say your rates, you're more than well, that, That's why I would say, like the UK, I, I feel like it's a lot lower than that. If you can, if you could yeah. do, the, do the conversion rate, the rates that, you know, the bar is very low. Yeah. So the the kind of invitation to take on jobs that are you know from the US it's 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 a lot more inviting and you can play that game where you know the next job I'll just raise my rates a little mm -hmm. bit more until someone just says no yeah you know and you can play that game like quite well so is there a lot of influx of like trying to get work from the u.s because when we were in canada uh, uh one thing that uh victor had said was try as hard as you can in canada to live in canada and get work from the u.s because they pay better than what canadian studios 100 like getting getting 850 a day like I, I don't know what the conversion rate is today but I'll figure it out hold yeah. on keep uh, talking is, yeah seven yeah <laughs> Six, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it, it, and it's almost double what um, a, you know a, a motion designer would get in in the UK. Well, y'all got the free healthcare. <laughs> kind of, kind of free. For, <laughs> yeah, but we pay national insurance as well, so you know we do pay for it. <laughs> I guarantee you, you're not paying as much as I am. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, um, yeah, that was fun. I had a quick question, though, because you said the motion picture um, industry kind of flatlined out here. So what about episodic work, like TV shows or commercials? Has that picked up? Because, like, I've been doing a lot of that type of work recently, at least stateside. Is, some, is this to do with the, the strikes in, um, you asking? Um, just in general, because you guys said, like, the motion picture, like, it flatlined. Like, there's no work for it happening right that now. That was because so. of, yeah, a lot of it is because of the strikes, but that's the strikes of the actors, right? Yeah. So that would definitely follow through with series as well. There's been a few series that have been put on hold. Well, um, for on the series size, at least for me, like if you're working in reality TV, then right. that's, that's a caveat. That's, that, yeah, uh, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, so like, are you guys scripted and non-scripted, right? Yeah. Right. So I was just asking, like, have you been flipping like what you usually work on? Like, say you work a motion picture, have you gone over to episodic or even like commercial work or just other industries in general try to compensate for that? Um, yeah, it's really interesting. I think a lot of um, kind of showrunners like Netflix and Prime have, have shifted, which yeah. has obviously had a shift on our side as well. Um, so they're doing a lot more sports-related things, documentary-related things. Right. Um, so yeah, that has shifted over, but I think 
for like the raw kind of visual effects side of stuff it's just never as much and it's never as involved right. budgets are normally a lot less um so yeah there has been a, a, a shift but it's it's not a replacement for yep. the film yeah luckily emotion design is it can be like we discussed before it's it's an industry very fluid if you're motion designer you can be applied anywhere in gaming uh in game industry in film industry in in art industry in museums because motion design is literally now everywhere i had a podcast yesterday and we uh discussed the the implementation and how you can utilize your skills in many different ways and i was surprised to learn about how great uh, it can be used in theaters so now you can have like the the environments but it can be also complemented by the computer graphics by animation by editing you go to museums it, there might be an, an exhibition about the history be uh about like animals you can you have you can have an animation that would explain better it would also look like a piece of art um and luckily the advertising never stops even though we we have the the strike that was pretty hurtful uh, for the film industry i had so many uh, peers in my industry who lost their job especially immigrants uh, someone who went to for example uh, to singapore they got redundant because the ilm decided to close uh, the lucas films uh, in singapore it was pretty painful and you need to somehow you know be flexible and decide where you want to go like is it India, is it uh, um, Australia or New Zealand? So you need to make decisions very quickly. For freelancers, if you have this freedom, if you're a freelancer, I was quite surprised to learn that people are very reluctant to go freelance, even though they might think that it would benefit them and their families. Uh, people are used to work at the mill. Um, they, some of them that have worked in the company for many years when they left the company they immediately found uh, amazing projects and i spoke with some other colleagues i used to work uh, before they were like oh why why haven't we done it earlier yeah. like we can have a race on my calendar is uh, like books uh, in advance i was so happy to see these people finding uh, their way in free freelance yes you need to negotiate you, you need to speak with clients you need to work on your pr social media but it, you bring so many benefits uh but but it, like i say it's not for everyone like if everyone was would what would be ready to go freelance our studios would be empty someone uh, someone just wants and really likes to have stability in their life and i don't judge these people but i do uh, sometimes insist at least to try if you don't like it you can always find job you can find even a better salary because within the studio it's very hard to to get a raise you need to contribute yourself to show the company that you're loyal work there for a couple of years and then to expect someone to leave the company to get on their role and might be like five six years if you go to another studio you can get a raise immediately this is what uh, people in IT industry do. They just hop from one, from one job to another. They get their stocks, their shares, three years, and they go to Facebook, Meta, Google, and they get a raise. Uh, but in our industry, it's a bit more difficult because it's a bit undervalued. But freelance is good. <laughs> uh, 
I was gonna say I think one of the benefits as well from working at studio at least for me has been to work closer with the sorry to work very closely with the other designers or art directors you get to learn a lot from that pipeline of work as well so yeah at least in my opinion that's been a really good experience at found I I agree with that and there was a discussion that I had with someone the other day about um so we've kind of moved into this like zoom world you know where we're working at a studio you know but maybe we're working from home with other people and it doesn't have that same flair as working at a studio with other people and like kind of looking over their shoulder and being like how'd you do that yeah (laughs) you know yeah and you've got like i don't know say four projects ongoing at the same time you get to go to someone see what's happening in that project and they're all like very different but obviously all in 3d so you can share also using lots of different tools each one's like specialized in one thing so you can kind of learn a bit from everyone which is cool yeah, we all we all went through that. Um, obviously, the the pandemic and kind of learning to work from home, like whatever space you're in, and it was it was quite strange having um, a lot of junior designers in in a studio where they're learning from you know the the person sat sat next to them, and then all of a sudden we're all at home, we're all doing Zoom calls and it's you, all that everyday uh, kind of learning and problem solving and things like that they're just getting given jobs and it's like say like they're they're a modeler or something like that and it's that's your job and then they kind of go away and just feel a bit isolated in 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 that and they're not they're not um exposed to other departments you know like marketing or the web team or you know how things are used as an end product and I definitely um, lost a, um, one of one of my team to that because she just felt that she just wasn't progressing. Like at the start of her career, like it's fine for people like myself where I've already got an established career and you know um, I'm, I'm running a team. But someone who's at the very start of their career, they're just losing all of that um, kind of education, basically. Yeah, I always tell people all the time, especially new people coming in the industry, like um, I got my bachelor's degree at university. And I say my six months being an intern, I learned a lot more in the six months than I did at university. Thousand percent. There's nothing more than being around other artists and learning the workflows and just kind of getting thrown into the fire. So I don't want to say university was a waste for me, but I always tell people. I will. I'll Sorry, well, <laughs> go ahead. I mean, I try to promote school, but you know, like I, I went I, to the school of Andrew Kramer. <laughs> Same, but I always say, um, if you're just starting off, if you get like a junior position or an internship, especially in office, I think that's the most valuable thing in the world. Like, I don't think I'd be here today without being in an artist bullpen. And even though I creeped everybody out, like I'm over everybody's shoulder, like, what are you doing over there? What are you doing here? <laughs> like. Oh, here comes Windbush again. It creeped people. What up? What up? What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Man, I mean, it's like that curiosity and excitement. I think people, after a while, they learn, like, okay, he's really genuine and wants to learn. So people became open and artists just started sharing their knowledge with you. And I think I probably accelerated like tenfold just by that experience there. A big thing as well is meetups. Like, if this is y'all's first meetup, you keep on saying, what, we got one minute? No. Yes. 
<laughs> hold on. Hold that thought. Let me finish mine. Um, one thing very important is meetups. For those who this is their first meetup, y'all have started something awesome. Keep this going. Keep the momentum. Meet people. You know, you never know what jobs you're going to get through the people that you meet. And they become your friends uh, through all these meetups and all the events and the NABs and the half reses. Like I have met all of my friends. No one lives within like 10 miles of me or whatever. They all live at least 500 or more miles from me. And those are all my closest friends. Come on. What were you going to ask? Hi guys. <laughs> this is all him. Give him a round of applause. Yeah. <laughs> Unless it's bad, then it was all me. <laughs> so if you're a freelancer, does it make you more outspoken um, in comparison to like a full-time employee? I think there's, there's, I, uh, there's I, for me, I think there's definitely a certain personality type that is much more engaged in, you know, the freelance life, the going out and the being schmoozy and, you know, talking to people and like kind of selling yourself, you know, versus there are people who just, they just want to collect a paycheck. They're comfortable with their life. And there's, there's nothing wrong with either of those things, mm -hmm. but especially with me, my brain works in a way where I like to do a lot of things. You know, I like being booked like, two or three projects all at once because it keeps my ADD like in check, you know, but, uh, uh, I know a bunch of people. Um, uh, I work really closely, uh, sometimes with, the uh, the guys over at already been chewed and there's a bunch of people who just love working there. You know, there's a studio that you just love to work for and, and there's nothing wrong with that to each their own. Yeah. I'm just going to add to that. So, um, one thing we haven't really touched on when it comes to freelancing, and I found that very early in my career. I, I was working full-time at a place called MPC as a composite back in the day. Um, and, you know, I was just comfortable, like, working one show to another show and so on. Um, but when I went freelance, I realized I wasn't just a freelance artist. I was also a business guy. You start wearing a business hat. You start talking about negotiations. You start sourcing work. You start, you start doing a lot of research, like, going to LinkedIn. And that eventually became my training as to where I am today, where I am running the studio. And I have to say, when you're a freelancer, you essentially are running a company. You are that company. You are that brand. So the more social media posts you put out, even if you do like a sketch or a test 3D sequence or anything, and you put it out on Twitter and you're building a brand, all of a sudden, not only am I now um, a 3D a, a creator, I am now a business development person. I'm now a PR person. I'm now a marketing person. You are essentially a mini company, you. And then eventually over the years, as you grow as, a, as, a, as an artist, as whether you're a director, whether you're a MoCraft, creative director, so whatever it is you are, you grow. And then the projects that you get given are much bigger than you can only handle yourself. So you start bringing on other people, other collectors, other friends. All of a sudden, over the years, you've got four, five, six people you have a studio and all of that came from because you took the step to become a freelancer. Yeah. I also think it's just also about the stage in your life. Like, uh, like we just discussed, you might be junior in intern. You can be, you can become a studio on your own because you're no one. 
<laughs> so you just need to, to at least gain experience in the studio in the company just to understand how the kitchen works and you can be behind the curtain and understand the pipeline of the things and whenever you feel ready to go freelancing yeah you just a matter of taking the making this leap and going to to do the, your thing on your own but it's also very hard uh, like I described earlier for people it's if you work in a company let's say for a very long time uh, it becomes your lifestyle people also don't work on their portfolio like when you work at a company or you work for huge uh, IT brands uh, you you don't have portfolio yeah everything is under NDA you can't if you make like corporate videos for Google for example you are not allowed to go online and post it like and say like oh I've just made an an amazing uh, like stop motion animation for Google nobody knows about that because why because they pay the money and you have like the benefits and everything so there are things you sacrifice and there there are people like things you uh, appreciate more like if a person uh, needs freedom and he or she or they they enjoy freedom more i think it's uh, like freelance freelancing is a perfect option people who like uh the stability they can uh find themselves wor- working at a company and ha- helping the brands to build something there are people who who think that oh i would like to be that cogwheel and a huge mechanism i would like to make the difference and have my sole role at the company and they would be you know just building their career and growing um like um the ladder and becoming better in the company and they would have the proper career of 15 years they might become a vice president for some people that may might be the best uh like aim to become a vice president to get a house for one million and just you know retire when they turn 50 but there are people who would like to to experiments with their career you know to to risk something it's just about it's different mentality so i do agree it's just a, a bit different and it just depends but i like to see how people shift their career when they go freelancing because it's it's always interesting to see the opinion of a friend of yours and how the mentality changes it's great i think like what to your question though karan was <clears throat> about whether it makes you more outspoken and I think that just comes down to your personality and what you want to get out of your job because I, I've worked with plenty of freelancers who just show up do the job and then leave um, but then I've worked with some incredible full-timers who go above and beyond their actual job role and they love training other members of the team they like doing kind of uh, sessions within work to, to kind of learn new school new skill sets and things like that so i think it just totally depends and, and you kind of mentioned this as well matt is like it depends what you want to get out of it and your personality for sure can i ask a <laughs> yes sir okay. oh. see you need to be on the you need to be on the panel we'll make sure you're on the on the panel on the next one <laughs> no go ahead you're good yeah uh, we're artists. That's why. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah. Artists a lot of us are just like big introverts. That's why it's really hard to reach out to other artists. That's why I found like uh, the Slack that we run, you know, it's got like 1,200 people in it. And when you, when, when you don't see another person's face and they're just, a, you know, a, a list on a chat thing, you know, it, it makes it a whole lot easier to communicate. There's less pressure there. 
Absolutely. But going off of the um, basis of freelance, I hope you don't mind me calling you out, Marta. But because I feel like you're the only one up here that has actual representation, right? Like you work with agencies and they help you find work. Would you be able to speak more on that? Because as motion graphics artists, we usually represent ourselves. So like, how is that on the other side where you have somebody find a work for you? Um, I think it used to be a lot more like you need an agent to have any contacts and just nowadays, especially, I mean, the last to say 10, 15 years, I'd say because social media and all that kind of stuff has changed the game entirely. That's no longer the case. Like that was my sort of what was then called out as a very different approach for me. It just felt natural because I do have a little bit more of a business background and things like that. So I did use some of that training to reach out to people and they were surprised because they, you know, nobody ever contacts them directly about anything. Um, everybody was expecting to hear from an agent. Um, sometimes it was even like, oh no, you can't. You can't. It has to be somebody like that. Somebody has to talk I need my for 10%. you. Yeah, exactly. No, 20, 20. 20. Yeah. Um, no, so for me, that just felt a bit silly. Like, unless an agent is able to really connect me to things that I can't reach to, out to myself easily, then I, they have no business being in sort of my work pipeline. There, there's no point. Like, unless you're adding that value, then you're not getting that 10% because that really does make a big dent in your bottom line. And unless that person is able to get you those bigger gigs, yeah. say top tier gigs, it's unlikely that you're going to get those contact details or anything like that. There, there's still a song and dance to that uh, contact. But for most of my work and most of my success, my, my biggest projects uh, that I've ever worked on, I got that myself through showing up to places like and this. And do you still have to pay a percentage people. on that? Uh, <laughs> well, to, no. If you so, find them yourself. So also, yes, there's the, there's the other thing. If you have representation, it used to be you have to be exclusive with somebody, and no matter what you get, they still take a percentage, and, and I wasn't having any of that. So I only signed with agents, uh, multiple agents, uh, non-exclusively, and they only get a percentage for what they get me. If something comes directly to me, I can choose to hand it over to them because it might be, you know, I, I have too many things going on. I want you to handle the contracts, whatever else. But um, no, there, there's, there's, we have a lot more power to say, no, I want the terms of this business relationship to be like this. And they can say no, and there's a million other agents out there. That's, that's the other thing. You don't have to, they'll make you feel like that's your one shot. And it's never the case. It's never the case. You have to dictate the terms of how you want to work with this person and, and see what value they bring to, to the bigger picture before you sign with them. But you do not need an agent to succeed. Yeah, can I, can I just follow on that one? Go so, for it. Um, so, Martha, you're speaking from um, Performer? Performance? Yeah, largely yeah. performance, but yeah. there's also other work. Yeah. For sure, absolutely. So, I remember when I did my first short film, um, Project Kronos, back in 2013, it went kind of viral. I got signed to some big agents like CAA and all those guys. And, I, um, and I'm like, wow, I've made it. I don't, I don't have to be a VFX size. Hell no. And echoing what you said, Marta, you know, that mentality, we're like, okay, I'll sit back now. I'll just wait for the phone call, right? Or the email, and they'll get me to work. No, it is. I, work, I, I very quickly realized there's a difference. Like the agents, there's two things. The agents can only follow up based on your recent success. 
And let's face it, you know, you do a short film, it lives out for like three, four, five months and then traction dies down and then it's what's your next thing. And if you're not someone that's quite prolific, you're like, well, no, I just did this amazing award winning short. I'm just going to wait to get more jobs. You're going to come in for a big disappointment. So I really, what I'm trying to say is like the agents will never get you work. They'll open the door for you. Maybe they'll get you some general meetings. And when I say general, I mean general, nothing specific, but you I'm speaking from a director's point of view. So for me as a director, as a writer as well, like I literally was just creating pitch decks every night, pitch deck after pitch deck, pitching on projects, not getting the gig. And you spend time, you know, this stuff takes up your time. And if you're a freelancer, you're, you're kind of sacrificing a little bit to do that because you're like, oh, I want to get this big movie. And then you very quickly realize um, that there are 100 directors that are pitching for that movie, right? So then you start becoming a bit more selective. Um, like you then start changing the way you pitch and you start talking about, you know, I'm pitching because I can resonate with this character. I'm pitching because my last movie reflected that theme. But then there are managers, right? So when you go into like the world of Hollywood, even the UK, you have managers and agents. And there's a big difference between the two. Agents are very transactional. It's like, we're going to put you up for this job. It's going to be X amount of money. You're going to get X amount of residuals if you're in the US or royalties in the UK. Um, and that, that's really the conversation you're having, right? A manager on your different is a much more different um, kind of relationship. They're a bit non-transactional. I mean, they're transactional in terms of trying to get you a deal, obviously, but they're more about growing your career. So I would say, like, if you're a director, writer, creative director who wants to step into creating your own content, instead of trying to chase for a manager, I would say, I mean, chase for an agent, go for a manager because that manager's there throughout the whole period of your life in terms of your career life. Um, question is, how do you find those managers? How do you I was find just it? about to ask, that. ask that. I get asked that all the time. So this is really simple. Just sign up to IMDB Pro right find your favorite director like you know like neil blancamp or whoever just don't don't look for steven spielberg you're not going to get his agent or manager um, even if you try but a lot of the managers and agents have their email addresses on there now the other thing i'm going to say is um the way i don't know how it works for, for you uh, martha but for, like, for, for directors you can't just go and like knock on a agent's door or a manager's door and say hey i'm a director i can be i can be this amazing next spielberg or next scorsese if you give me a chance it's just not going to reply so i would say if you've got stuff that's just recently come out even if you're a freelancer who's worked on a big movie but you're also doing your shorts i would say start off with saying hey um i'm the former animation director or former creative director who's worked on this movie start that as your header and then at the bottom say hey but i'm also transitioning to filmmaking i'd love to talk to you because unfortunately it really is about the the hook bait if you know what i mean they're, they're going to look for this thing that you've worked on so it's very hard the competition as you you know know it's very hard out there so you've got to make yourself stand out but no one's going to get you the work you're getting yourself to work the agent will just facilitate that transaction the manager will open the doors for you to get the meetings but it's up to you to take that next step yeah can I, so, real uh, quick as yeah. i said the only reason i brought it up was because like at least for me i noticed on linkedin a lot more people have been hitting me up to represent me as a motion graphics artist which um it hasn't been a thing for a while like when i first started in the early 2000s like if you had an agent then you thought you were like the top dog because they would get you jobs for like coke and pepsi and lexus and stuff but 
that kind of faded out for a little bit, but starting to make it come back again, which I thought was interesting for at least us as motion graphics. Artists. The agents are hurting for work. They got to reach out to people. I just want to add one more thing on the manager side of things, at least in Europe. Um, and this is not exclusive to acting. This is, you know, not just me, based on, on friends in the industry as well. Um, how to meet them is you have to you have to be a little bit of a stalker a little bit uh, you have to find out Done. because easy. they will go yeah easy <laughs> but it is about um, the biggest the best way to actually get in is to meet them in person right um, most managers will be uh, in or around the major film festivals in Europe they will usually be on the ground and so if you lay the groundwork of like emailing them and having your portfolio ready and having that hook um, ready, you know, so you have to be prepared with all the information to be as easily um, digestible as possible in that in like the shortest possible amount of time. Nothing exceedingly lengthy. They don't have the time. Um, but if you have that ready and then just ask to meet them there, like the uh, Berlinale is happening in, in February, for example. And when you, you say, hey, I'm going to be in the same town, I'd love to meet you. 15 minutes, coffee, that can be the thing that gets you signed if that's what you want to do. Um, but it's also, I would say a manager is not something if you're just starting out, that's you're not ready. Like it's something for when you've already sort of established what it is you want to do and then they'll help you grow that. It's also a good way to, you know, get a potential freelance job is reach out to someone say, Hey, I'm going to be in the area. I'd love to tour your studio. Could I buy you a coffee or something like that? Yeah. You know, actually our friend, Sarah, that's how she started working with Marvel. Because she came out to L.A. Because she's from St. Louis. She yeah. came out to L.A., toured a couple of studios. She's working on Thor. Yeah. Just doing that. You know. Hi, my name is Sashia Dumont. I'm a writer, actor, and filmmaker. Hi, my name is Paul Robinson. I'm a director, DP, and filmmaker. We are the creators and hosts of the Go Gorilla Filmcast, an online source for all things indie film. We are a husband and wife film team and co-owners of Send3 Productions, and we started this podcast for filmmakers like ourselves who were producing on micro-budgets with Skeleton Crews. Go Gorilla is a weekly podcast that features various talents in TV, film, and web series productions. We've interviewed filmmaker powerhouses like Kestrin Pantera, Richard Raymond, Alex Ferrari, Cassandra Ebner, and Ryan Connolly. Amazing actors like Hannah Ward, Lou Taylor Pucci, Chris Wataski, and Eileen Gruba. Groundbreaking cinematographers like Jody Lee Lipes and Jessica Lee Gagne, and many more. We also offer weekly reviews of our favorite films and shows, which vary from low-budget first-time filmmakers to A-listers and everyone in between. Go Gorilla is proud to announce that we have officially joined the MoGraph Podcast Network. So if you love filmmaking as much as we do, tune in every Sunday for a new episode of the Go Gorilla Filmcast. Your, your source, source for, for all things indie film. film. Now available on the MoGraph Podcast Network. So I want to pivot from the manager talk and stuff. You know, um, everyone needs to up their game quite a bit in order to get to that manager level, you know, and you can't do that without amazing training. We've got like half the people on this panel right here do tutorials or do training or stuff like that. I would love to know when you're creating a tutorial or a training or anything like that, how do you make sure it doesn't go over the head of some of like the, the, the newbies? Ellie, take it. <laughs> um, so for me, because uh, I still class myself as quite like a new trainer, 
slash artist I try and put myself in their shoes so I kind of think like I only learned Redshift two years ago so I completely understand and feel like I'm in your shoes and so I always think like what do I wish I got told when I was first trying to learn these kind of like crazy tools and just to understand that people are beginners and even though what is simple now potentially to all of us as experienced users isn't to anyone who especially doesn't have like a design background and so I think that's kind of like where I come from because I don't have a design background I always try and explain things in like a really user-friendly way um, I, I had somebody recently calculate that I have over 700 hours of Cinema 4D tutorials like on YouTube via Rocket Lasso and um, presentations for Maxon and at Grayscale Gorilla. So yeah, like an incredible amount of content. But I, I'm constantly assuming I'm going over people's heads. I talk incredibly quickly because I've got so much information to share. But the one thing I always try and do, no matter what I'm talking about, is I almost always start everything from scratch. Like every video, I'm not like, oh, here's this pre-built thing, and now let's continue. It's like, no, we're starting from a cube, and let's work all the way through it. So I, I always hope that that is going to keep everybody coming along, because I don't know. At this point, I've kind of priced myself out of all of the introduction stuff, and I, should, I always feel like I should get back into like more medium level and low level. But even every Rocket Lasso tutorial, if you look at it, is all like high-end material like okay let's get crazy right away we're going straight into like deep simulation and using fields and vertex maps in crazy ways i've struggled i've struggled with that in the past where you know you you continue doing tutorials and tutorials you know and it's like with, with me early on in the tutorial stage it was like oh i learned something new i want to show everyone else you know and then it's like you get to a point in your career where you're like oh i've learned a lot uh i don't know if i have any more to teach you know, yeah. well, I'm how always do you trying, keep it fresh? Always, I'm always trying to one-up myself, which is where I said I'm pricing myself out, where it's like, oh, I, I do the advanced tutorials. That's my niche, and I just keep on pushing that further and further to the point where it's like, oh, my God, nobody can follow this tutorial anymore. <laughs> like, like I, I rewatched my own video like a year later. I'm like, what was I talking about? This is crazy. <laughs> uh, but that's where, like for me at least, the live streams are really handy because now I'm just getting questions literally live from people in the chat room. And it's like, okay, we're going to do this from scratch and figure it out in front of you. You can see the entire process. And we, we can get advanced, but you'll see, like, the process of figuring that out, like how all the gears turn to actually get to a final product. Do you ever worry... Chris, let me ask you this. Do you ever worry that... Because this happens to me a lot. I feel like I rely... Like, with the introduction of, like, fields and stuff like that, I, I sometimes fear that I am getting left behind or I'm using techniques that are old, you know, and outdated. Try yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> like, uh, the past few times that I've, like, presented at, for Maxon or something, I always feel like it's just like, oh, this is just classic MoGraph stuff, you know? I always worry that it's just too simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. they, well, yeah, for me, I guess it's co the complete opposite problem. Like, I'm constantly, like, I'm only doing fields all the time. I'm only doing, like, the crazy advanced simulation stuff and, you know, building capsule rigs or espresso rigs and whatnot. So... I have the problem where I start assuming other people are on the same page. And it goes to like, even in the audience, like how many people here feel like really comfortable using fields inside of cinema? Like, go ahead. I don't know what, maybe a quarter of the people. 
And I just make the assumption that everybody, it's like, well, I don't even need to talk about fields because everybody knows everything about them. And it's like, oh, wait, no. And actually, there's something I learned early on, even at Grayscale Gorilla, is no matter what you're learning, no matter how new you are, you know something. There's so many more people who don't know that little thing that you know now. So, like, never be shy about sharing what you would think is fairly basic knowledge because there's so many people out there who don't know that. I mean, how many people are in this room? Versus how many people are out there just tinkering around with a couple tutorials to be like, oh, do I want to do 3D? Is this fun? Is this something that I can get into? So don't be shy about that. But it's a lesson that I need to reteach myself. You were going to say something. I was. I'm scared to use my eyes. Pull the bike out. (laughs) (laughs) Also, on like the... Oh, that was loud. Uh, On like the flip side of you saying about like technology getting better, different ways to do things. All I'll say, and this is coming from a trainer, like the end result is all that matters. If you do something in an old way or what we call legacy, because we can't say old, in like a legacy way, like cool. Like as long as it like the result is all that matters at the end of the day, that's what you're going to show the client. That's what is going to be on TV. No one's going to go, oh, did you use a, a field or a new like sickness generator? No, no one cares. Like it's. It's all about the end result, just to kind of put it in there. I care. Listen listen to him more than me, trust me. (laughs) Yeah, Winbush, I'll throw this over to you as well as I switch out my stand. You know, because I will, I I love, I love your tutorials. Thank you. Because I always find... You know, you specifically are talking to a group of people that are fresh and new into this. And you lay it out in a way that I feel like a lot of us can understand. And you're really quick to introduce new stuff as well. You're like... Yeah, I'm like crazy. That, <laughs> the, uh, the avalanche stuff, like, I didn't even know it was close to being, like, shown at all. And here you are doing a tutorial. Like, you were the only person who posts a tutorial on the MoGraph Discord, like, at least once a week. Yeah, I don't sleep, like I said. <laughs> but what's the question? How do you keep... <laughs> Oh, that was just the point in which I was just complimenting you for how uh, no, no, I was going to say, like, you know, you, you, you do a good job of taking a subject and making it easy to understand. Even you know, unboxings, yeah. How do you make sure that when you're creating a tutorial or something like that, you keep it easy for people to understand? Yeah, I mean, honestly, for me, because I still do client work, and I have, like, my whole... St- like, I've been doing this for a couple of years, yeah, so... Like, I got to the point to where I have my camera directly above my monitor. I have my mic on the arm so I could just pull it down, you know, and just get the going. So, like, as I'm doing client work and I figure something out, I'm like, oh, shit, that's pretty dope. Let me record it real quick. And then I put it out. That's why it's like it's really good. <laughs> I might do a tutorial that might post at, like, 2 in the morning because I'm up at 2 in the morning. I do it real quick, post it, and just let it go and let it ride. But... Yeah, I'm just constantly, it goes back to being in an artist bullpen, right, where everybody's just riffing off each other. Since I started my own company, uh, Winbush Immersive, which is just me, pretty much, at my home office, but... It's, it's immersively like, Winbush. <laughs> <laughs> like, it all started with the VR stuff, which kind of, well, we won't go there, but <laughs> basically, I'm working by myself at my home studio, and I lost that connectivity with other artists. Like, I don't riff off of other artists in the bullpen because there is no bullpen. And so it's kind of like me put my stuff up online. And then in reciprocation, the artists are sharing their knowledge with me. Where you know, problem solving and doing a bunch of stuff there. So that's kind of where that goes. That's why when I figure something out, I get excited and post it. 
Because somebody might say like, oh, that's dumb. Why are you doing it that way? They show me a quicker way. And I'm like, oh, snap. Okay. I do, do another take tutorial. down the tutorial if you find a better way to do it? No, I just link it. Say like, better way. And then I'll credit the person <laughs> right there. <laughs> you never take down the content. <laughs> but no, like, if somebody truly... Um, helps me solve something then i'll credit them i'll you know put their twitter linkedin whatever on there and say like hey logan help me figure this out give them full credit and keep it moving you know i think it comes down to um the audience that you're going to um how you how going back to how you don't leave them behind but also like their expectation as well if you're just putting up a tutorial on youtube for free which is your time and you're not expecting any money or whatever you can just do it in your style and and it should be as you know as easy as that right but if you're designing a course um and this to be you know a product that people are paying for mm. then i think you have to put another layer of um of consideration into who am i targeting this you know content to um and like it should go through at least you know a fair amount of q a like quality assurance like just to you know and that's that's i guess that's the process that i've i'm used to from uh linkedin and and it was formerly linda.com uh it was always like somewhat frustratingly like you've done the course and you you're ready to you want it out there but you there's people that are going through it and just going I didn't actually get this or there's, or you know what? Your project file is actually had a bug in it, you know, or whatever. I couldn't follow along at this point. And it can make you think, oh man, I have to go back and check because, and fix all these things um, so that people stay with the, with you. Because I find a lot of people, they'll buy training and never finish it, you know, because they just go, oh, I, I like, you know, I watched the, 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 the two minute intro or whatever and I got really excited, but you know, it's tricky to keep people's attention um, up. And I think that's the people that can nail it on shorts and, and get their YouTube channel and, uh, to a point where hundreds of thousands of subscribers and all that kind of things. Like, Not me. No, no. <laughs> Maybe EJ, I don't know. Like, but it's, uh, you know, you just, uh, it's, uh, that's a whole different thing, you know. Like, um, so the pacing of it is, is definitely, uh, for me, like, mm. one of these things you've got to figure out. Yeah, my my son is um, getting into it. He's, he's thirteen, so he's um, trying to go through these tutorials. And more often than not, he'll get stuck on where um, someone will do a, a shortcut that you know is is maybe obvious to to us, like what we're doing. Yeah, and he's just totally lost in the in the tutorial. So things like that definitely they do definitely count. Keep the interface as vanilla as possible. Yeah. Do not customize yeah. it or anything, and just call out the shortcuts if or whatever, or at least have them captioned and things like that. that's another thing that you you know you you'd have to do. Just you've recorded your training, go through and just have I called out a keyboard shortcut. Um, is it clear enough, you know? And it's just kind of seeing it from uh, the eyes of your audience. Um, Karan, question? You had a question. So I, I think EJ's tutorials specifically, and this is the thing that really drew me, drove me to, you know, to EJ's tutorials is, and uh, this goes back to what Ellie was talking about, creating a beautiful design, you know, uh, when doing tutorials and stuff like that, EJ's characters that he makes and everything, it's got, it's beautifully designed versus some of the other tutorials out there that you'll see that was just, you know, some 12 year old kid recording and breathing heavily into the microphone while he's, <laughs> you know, trying to show you how to do a specific thing and his microphone's terrible. But, you know, he, 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 a, a lot of 
I, I think I think what maybe drove you to that is the fact that the design on it was so pretty. Good job, EJ. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see if there's anyone else in the audience who has any additional questions. I see a few like yes, yeah, so yes. Yeah, so, uh, What's your YouTube username? Um, Lee Williamson. Lee Williamson. There you go. Everyone subscribe. <laughs> you you got at least a thousand and one now. <laughs> I'll, I'll agree with you there. You know, I, I think there's a certain level of fame or whatever. And you're like, what's the next step? How do I, because the thing is we're taking a lot of time out of our own schedule to make tutorials. You know, it's uh, it's very time consuming. And if we can make a buck, you know, it's really nice, but I totally get what you're saying. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. See, well, I'm here for the people. So, yeah. <laughs> free tutorials. Um, and I do have paid courses, of course, but, um, also, but I'll tell you, he does cover a lot of the stuff that's in the paid courses on his YouTube. For I was going to say, like, I teamed up with Epic Games. They gave me a grant to actually release a course for free called Unreal Engine 5 in 5 Days for that reason. Because I release courses. Um, there's people around the world, like, the course might be 200 bucks. That's a month worth salary for them. So I kind of felt some type of way. It's like... Let me put something together that those people can have the same type of quality content that you get from a paid course. And so, of course, um, I can't answer all their questions because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of questions that come with that. But at the same time, I try to help out as much as possible. So, yeah, I always um, I'm a big advocate for free education because I feel knowledge is power. So, yeah, definitely um, follow me on YouTube. I'm for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for me, and I would love to hear feedback from anybody who might follow any of my stuff, but I'm almost like obsessed with keeping things vanilla, which is ironic that I make plugins. But like in every video, every video, every live stream, I'm fairly confident that I'm like, okay, we're going to use one of my plugins, but first let me show you how to do it without it. I'm like obsessed with like, I don't want to price anybody out of what I'm about to talk about. And I have worked very closely with people in the past who are... You know, it's like, oh, here's going to be a video and you watch it. You're like, okay, I can't do anything you just explained because it yeah. was all dependent on secondary tools. And, you, you know, it was like you said it's a similar tutorial, but it's not. It's a if you have all of these plugins tutorial. Yeah. And it'll be like, okay, yeah, I've got mesh the spline, but I'll immediately be like, well, select the edges you want. Say edge the spline. Okay, you've got that. Now with my tool, you can do it faster and parametrically. Yeah. So that's always my goal. Anyway. We got like five minutes left. Yes. From uh, the transition from freelance work to training. Does it work well? That was the question. It's a lot less. <laughs> um, but uh, I've been doing it for long enough. I still get a royalty check. So it, is, it, it pays a bill, um, which is nice. Um, and, uh, but the thing is, you, I guess you just have to keep going uh, to actually maintain anything like that. Otherwise, it can really drop off. So, but fortunately, like, there's new releases all the time. In fact, it's it's been tricky to keep up with C4D's development because of the rapid releases now. Same. It used to be like, yeah. <laughs> you used to have like a year to, to get it all sorted, but now it's um, a lot faster. So you have to kind of go with that and make it more, make your training a bit more modular or whatever and just cover the key things of that thing, but, or do you? videos like yeah. you do. Oh, yeah, or, and if anybody's not keeping up, remember, Rocket Lasso's always releasing the what's new in Cinema 40 <laughs> and those are really hard to make, so, yeah. yeah. 
But come out so free as well. Yeah. yeah, but that's that's a very stressful week. To, like, yeah, 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 learning it all, preparing all this stuff, like learning it without documentation, and then putting the video out. I'm usually like editing and exporting at like two in the morning, and then in the morning, Max, I was like, okay, we're live. And I'm like, go, and um, but that's the way I learn it. <laughs> yes, sir. I'll say it's never too late, man. The question, hold on. The question really quick is, you know, if you don't necessarily have a design background, how do you, over the course of your career, create your own voice or your own style or whatever? Um, I can maybe um, help a little bit. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and I, I also don't come from a design background. Um, I, I went to uni um, and studied film production technology and it was a size screen. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but basically, um, I, I've been doing it for about 10 years as well. And I think one of the major things that you probably will really, really help you if you are looking for a voice, or at least this is what helped me, is that... Um, I, so I'm a huge fan of Pinterest and there's other things that I'm sure loads of different websites that you're going to find um, loads of inspiration from. Now, if you feel like you don't have a voice or that you're looking for one, if you have a look at all the things that you've pinned, all the things that inspire you, you actually might find a thread between all of those things, something that's similar, something that you gravitate towards. And if you're not making stuff that you're inspired by and, and looking towards that actually might be the the thing that you're looking for and if you start trying to emulate some of that or combining some of those ideas I think that you actually could find the voice that you're looking for the thing that's going to really or make your work sing and, and make you really happy so is there a need to develop your own style I don't I don't necessarily think so you know um, it may help you get very unique jobs or something like that but it's okay to just be generic. It's okay to be vanilla. You know, you don't have to have your own style and your own voice. You know, when you look at an octane render, you know it's an octane render. You know, when you see certain people, it, it's totally fine. You know, when you see a people render, you know it's a people render. You know, just because you go, ugh. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, you don't, it's, it's, not, it's not required to be an artist. You know, art is subjective. It can be whatever you want it to be, you know, but just it, and it can be plain and it can be vanilla, like some of the art we saw yesterday at the... I think it depends also what, you want, what your career wants to be, though. If you want to be a 3D artist um, that just wants to create cool stuff, then yeah, absolutely. Like, you don't have to have your own style. But if, for example, you want to be a filmmaker, right? And the when we go back to the question about agents, they're always going to ask you, like, what makes you stand out? There are hundreds of thousands and millions of filmmakers out there. What makes you stand out? And you have to find your voice. And like you said, by the way, it's very hard to find your voice. Like, I didn't know what my voice was until I started just, I thought I had an idea in my head what my voice was. Like, I was the sci-fi guy. Then I realized, no, I actually quite like comedy. And I started doing a lot of stuff in comedy. And I realized, oh, that's my thing. But you don't know what your voice is until you start creating stuff then you start to see oh that that's me yeah and it evolves it, it's you're never that voice every project you do you start evolving your voice and your persona or your art and what, just quickly when you do go down that route if you choose to go down that route um be open-minded about what it is you find it's it's a bit of a journey so just be really open to seeing where it takes you and let go of any sort of preconceived notions of what you think you should be because that's like the thing that's going to shut the whole process down absolutely that's a great note to end on i want to thank all of my panelists who came up and gave their opinions big shout out to them um i did 
um, I did want to put this out there for all of the, you know, London, UK, England artists. Um, uh, if you're interested, uh, Maxon is always looking for presenters for all of these different events. Um, hit up Karan in the back. Talk to him because they are always looking for people to, to present. So I'll end on that. Um, let's see. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, I'm Matt. And I'm Winbush. And I'm Winbush. What up, what up? Yeah. And this was Dat. Thank you all. Thank you so much. MoGraph.com, an online resource for motion graphic artists. Start your week with the MoGraph podcast, industry news, interviews with your favorite artists, and terrible humor. Watch live shows and interviews from MoGraph events like NAB, SeaGraph, HalfRes, and local meetups. Our MoGraph talks feature live demos and motivation from artists all around the world. Sometimes you got to make stuff that you're not going to put on your reel, and I'm not here to judge. What if Rick and Morty show up for the countdown at midnight? That's where I peaked in life, in my career. We gotta stop this thing, Rick! It's gonna kill us all! Hear from the people that create your software, design your render engines, and artists that are changing the face of modern motion graphics. You get that render done. Yeah, you better frame, frame what? MoGraph tutorials and online classes will teach you about Cinema 4D, After Effects, as well as other popular software and render engines. Throw in the HDR Studio, take the render settings, pick the HDR, put a reflection, and gorgeous! Branch into new software, learn time-saving tips, techniques, workflows, and lessons that'll keep you up to date in the world of motion design. Oh, brother, those are some of my favorite elves. I love projects that scare me. When our art director comes to us and asks for something that I had never done before, man, it gets me pumped. Join the conversation in our live sessions. Check out our plugins or join the hundreds of daily active users in our Slack channel for technical help, advice, contests, or just to joke around. Real nice banana. Ah, that's so funny. All right. I'm going to live forever. <laughs> Subscribe today and get the latest updates on our YouTube and other social media channels. Take all your dreams and just do it! We don't care how you get here, folks. Just get here. Subscribe to MoGraph.com.